This is Matt Wells at UN News. Two and a half years into the COVID-19 pandemic, it may be tempting to think that for many of us the worst is over. The reality is that the fallout from the coronavirus could last a decade and not only in the health sector, scientists have said in a new UN-backed report. To ensure that we're better prepared for the next global shock, governments everywhere need to take stock of the vulnerabilities that have been exposed nationally and internationally by the pandemic. As UN News' Daniel Johnson hears now from Mami Mitsutori, head of the UN Office of Disaster Risk Reduction, Sumia Swaminathan, chief scientist at the World Health Organization, and first, Peter Gluckman, who's president of the International Science Council. What's the most important thing in the report? That this pandemic is not over, that the entire policy community has to recognise that even beyond the direct health implications of the virus, and the disease and the death that it causes. It has causes social, mental health, educational, economic, diplomatic considerations, which will last for at least a decade or more after the pandemic is over in a public health sense. And the danger will be that policymakers want to pretend that it's all over when the death rates fall. It's not all over. The big challenges are only just beginning. The issues around inequality, issues over the state of the health systems, issues of a loss of educational disadvantage, the mental health burden, the many other issues that every community will have to face around the world. And then the other point that has to be made is it's a whole of world issue, not a single country issue. And too many countries are still looking at it as we fixed it in our country or the disease rate is declining in our country. Large parts of the world are not immunised, they're not immunised adequately, they're not immunised adequately with an infective vaccine. We may need new vaccines over the next year or so to deal with new variants. And unless we have a collective urgency to make sure that across the world the necessary diagnostics, therapeutics and preventatives, the vaccines, are available to the 7 billion people on the planet. This pandemic is just going to drive and on and on and on. Peter Gluckman from the International Science Council, thank you so much. Mami Mitsuturi, Special Representative of the Secretary-General and Head of the Office of Disaster Risk Reduction. The things that Dr Gluckman has just told us about, we've known about since 2012. You mentioned the Sendai report, which identified biological hazards as uh, perhaps the next major threat to the world. Indeed, it has been. So where did we go wrong? Well, I believe that we do not try to take on what we have not experienced now, with the, it's the same with the climate emergency. Disaster risk was not a big issue, let's say, even 20 years ago. And now, with the pandemic, now with the climate emergency, we are all learning that we need to prevent better from disaster risks, from hazards, that we need to prepare better, and we need to reduce these. We need to manage risk. But sadly, humans, unless we experience a tragedy like the pandemic or the ongoing climate emergency. We don't put our resources, we don't put our energy into it. But haven't we seen some reaction for the richest countries who have been able to help uh, their populations? But just as Dr Gluckman was saying, we've left a lot of people behind. So what is the United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reduction actually doing to help these people on the ground in the Global South, for example? So what we are doing at the United Nations Office for Disaster Risk Reduction to help people on the ground is A, we are helping them 
them understand what is the risk that surrounds them. And we are supporting them so that they have bought better data and importantly, better governance, better policies in order to manage these risks. But the most important thing that we do internationally is related to what you just mentioned. We are advocating for better international cooperation so that the global north will support the global south in all types of disasters. The pandemic, of course, the climate emergency. What has absolutely been lacking at this time is solidarity. And this report talks to that. Now, we need to come out from this pandemic, if we ever do, in a way that is more equitable, in a way that we're more resilient. And this requires more international cooperation. I do believe, as you said, that there are more countries in the global north which are stepping up to this, but it is not at all enough. Thank you very much, Mami Mitsuturi. Sumia Swaminathan from the World Health Organization, you're the chief scientist. Maybe you could explain how the UN Health Agency has put in practical steps to perhaps help people who are being left behind and perhaps also to address those concerns about vaccine inefficacy and vaccine dangers, because that's perhaps one thing, one practical step that has been taken. So what the World Health Organization did was to put in place a strategic preparedness and response plan right at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 that actually covered all of the elements from what countries need to do in order to perform surveillance, including genomic surveillance, to understand how the variants are spreading, clinical care for people, community engagement, risk communication, and of course the access to diagnostics, drugs, and therapeutics. Very early on, we brought the scientific community together and developed a research roadmap. This was in February of 2020. This actually laid out all of the knowledge gaps and the research priorities. And the global community, scientific community, really came together. And for the last two and a half years, have worked hard, round the clock, in fact, to try to advance the knowledge, advance the science and understanding about the virus, but also developing these countermeasures. We also put in place mechanisms one of them being the ACT Accelerator, bringing together all the big global health agencies to work together, basically to ensure equitable access to drugs and therapeutics and and vaccines. This has been a success to some extent, but not as much as it could have. And we were still faced with inequities in access to these products. Not as successful as it might have been because of a lack of investment at the local, regional, national and presumably international level. So what is your recommendation now that we have this endemic virus, which is very likely to come back in some other form? Yes, it's the virus itself could mutate and become more dangerous. Or of course, there's always the risk of a new pandemic, a zoonotic spillover that leads to a completely new disease. And so this is the time to put in place mechanisms. And we have proposal for a global health architecture for pandemic preparedness and response. And what's so radical about that? It is radical because it looks at issues of governance, it looks at issues of financing, and it looks at systems and tools that you need. And on governance, it's really critical that you have global solidarity, that countries come together and agree on a set of rules. The international health regulations need to be updated. They haven't been for many years now. There needs to be financing in place, both domestic and global financing, which can come into play very, very quickly so that right at the onset of the pandemic, one can then put in place mechanisms to ensure that there's procurement and distribution of all of the products that people need. And then they need to be systems and tools that are built again on equity at the the heart of everything. So for example, the private sector needs to, of course, play its part in innovation, 
But when a lot of the development of these products is funded by taxpayer money, is funded by public finances, then we need to ensure that there is equitable access provisions built into contracts that companies get so that we are not faced with this problem of the rich get the products first and the poor are waiting at the back of the line. And final word to you, Dr. Gluckman, if you wouldn't mind. I know you have some thoughts on, on the issue of a lack of trust between the so-called elites in society, between the politicians and the scientists. How are we going to bridge that gap? What is it that the multilateral system needs to embrace to bring about some sort of positive change so that those who feel left behind don't feel like they have to take some extreme measures? Well, trust starts within communities. So first of all, you've got to think about within national communities how trust is built. And that requires listening to the people. And I think that by and large there's been an arrogance built up between decision makers and the community. There are new techniques like many publics and new ways of involving the public in the decision making that should be made. That's one point. The second point is that when politics is played as a game, as it sometimes is in the geopolitical space, manifestly as opposed to presenting in the national interest, and the national interest meaning the interest of citizens, people get more and more cynical. So, and, so that I think this whole thing, I mean, I regard we face several existential crises. COVID has been one, climate change has been another. A loss of social cohesion in all societies is the other one that's emerging. So I think that we need to work hard, and I think trust is a harder issue to discuss. It's less specific than dealing with COVID or climate change, but we're not going to deal with either without all countries, all societies, focusing on the issue of how to rebuild trust in an environment which is being undermined by the digital milieu. It's a really tough one. And again, the multilateral community has failed generally to think about how to deal with the digital milieu. Even in the last 48 hours, we've seen live streaming of a terrorist event in the USA. We just have to have to think about taking that risk to all societies of a loss of trust as being a critical matter to be addressed as we make progress on the very areas that is talking about or the areas that Mami has within her responsibility. It's the number one issue in my way.